This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 47. This is Writing Excuses, Roguishness with Scott Lynch. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And this is Scott Lynch. Yay! Yay! Scott Lynch! Who braved back injury to come join us. I was going to say my own name, but I guess that works. (laughs) Scott Lynch. uh, Scott, tell us, um, if people don't know about your work, tell us about yourself. Um, All right. I'm from Minnesota. I live in Wisconsin. Don't hold that against me. Um, (laughs) I am the author of The Lies of Locke Lamora, Red Seas Under Red Skies, and the increasingly non-hypothetical actually in existence definitely coming in October of this year to this very planet on which you are residing unless you are listening to this on the ISS, in which case, Godspeed. Um, (laughs) The Republic of Thieves. Yay! Yay! I saw Saladin carried around a copy I of that. Know. Yes, I gave, I gave Saladin Ahmed a copy yes. of that book. And, uh, if you Actually, want by the one, time this episode airs, yes. that will almost certainly be a book that is already in your hands, fair listener. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. if you'd, uh, but if you are at Gen Con and you want a copy of The Republic of Thieves, find Saladin Ahmed and bring more people. Um, he's, he's wiry and he's fast, but you might be able to get the jump on it. He's walking around petting it. Um, I don't know if you know this. But. As is only suitable. <laughs> well, well, Saladin came up to my... This is the kind of person Saladin is. Saladin came up to my hotel room, and we're not even in the same hotel, this morning um, when I woke up and could not stand up. Um, Saladin is the one who pried me off the floor and tolerated my screaming while I put my spine back into position to approximate a human being. Um, so, yes, he earned that copy of Republic of Thieves. Wait, scratch that. Don't beat him up. Um, <laughs> at least not at Gen Con. All right. Roguishness. Um, this is like a catch-all topic for stuff that uh, Scott Lynch does awesomely. I think we've just seen a demonstration <laughs> yes. of the roguishness. I was being nice. Um, I can't even be nice to somebody, but somebody's like, ah, there goes a rogue. (laughs) Go beat him up and take his book is nice? It was polite. (laughs) You're confusing. He's he's wiry. Bring friends. (laughs) (laughs) So this is... He was being nice to the audience. Exactly. I I was being helpful to somebody who was not Saladin. (laughs) But this is, in fact an example of how to create a roguish character who is sympathetic by making him really, really charming. Yep. So you don't notice what an asshole he really is. (laughs) You you also, uh, you can also surround him uh, with with people who are more sanctimonious. I I mean moral. (laughs) To keep him on the straight and narrow, especially when it comes to slugging or not slugging other other famous authors. Oh, boy. At least let Saladin get to the Hugo ceremony because That's he's, true. He's, he's, uh-huh. after that he's fair game. Um, <laughs> he's not up against me in any category, so I, I, oh, I suppose yeah. we'll let so, it pass. Yeah, yeah, I could just totally uh-huh. go for that book right uh-huh. now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so roguishness. Why do we like rogues? Why do we like people that are on the outskirts of law and perhaps morality? Um, well, we, 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 we like to see transgressive um, performance, um, which is a very complex way of saying we, we, we like to see uh, strong warriors. We like to see fast fighters. We like to see amazing magicians. Um, we like to see socially transgressive people as well. We like to see people who break the customs and the laws, um, you know, the, and, and the social conscience that most of us are, you know, 
happily constrained by. Uh, I mean, I'm not running around on people's rooftops, uh, you know, for, for purposes other than putting out fires. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the, the, the uh, actor who was recently chosen to play the 12th Doctor, Peter Capaldi, um, plays a character called Malcolm Tucker on uh, a British show called uh, In the Thick of It. Um, he's a political consultant, and he's, he's a foul-mouthed um, maggot of a human being who has no redeeming features whatsoever, except for the fact that he is uh, so utterly transgressive beyond the bounds of propriety, as we recognize it in this universe, that he becomes hypnotic and fascinating. Um, that sort of boundary breaking and rules breaking in any form is, is, is what we, we, you know, we seek when we, when we fall in love with characters. How is that necessarily uh, different from uh, certain kinds of anti-heroes? Are we really talking about yeah. two sides of the same coin? Uh, yeah, absolutely the same thing. I mean, there's, there's, okay. there's, a, there's a very long, shifty gray area between you know, um, charming rogue and, and you know, anti-hero. I mean, it, it's a continuum. It all blends. Right, though you add that charmingness on. And that, that change shifts it entirely. And the other thing I, I would say is I think, like, from this type of roguish character, we will take the slightest bit of something, like, moral and latch onto it and say, oh, they, they're, they're, they're good mm -hmm. at heart. The yeah. littlest thing, like, they pet a puppy and then stab 17 people. We're like, oh, but they're really just lovable at heart. And we latch onto that. Yeah, that trail puppy. of corpses. I'm sorry. I stepped on Mary. Not literally. Not yet. <laughs> <Ow>! <laughs> She's so tiny. How could you not? Ow! You were going to say something. Oh, um, I was going to say that, that I think part of what, is, uh, what appeals to us about the transgressiveness is that they are getting away with stuff that we want to try. Mm. Um, that this is, this is very much the, the nature of catharsis, that it's, you know, watching someone, you know, drown a bag of rabid weasels is something that many of us want to do. Oh, what? <laughs> and that's the title the, of Mary's weasels, forthcoming autobiography, Drowning a Bag of Rabid Weasels. The weasels are rabid? The weasels oh. are rabid. I, I was so, just going to say, you know, you don't, you don't use a safe for that? Because you toss it. That sinks. It's a sack, does Yeah. You know, oh, you're right. You're, you you're so in, right. And then it just goes down. I didn't think about it. Okay, you you're right. You have thought the physics of the situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, entirely See, I was just going to do Bags float, Mary. Really, yeah, that just weasels get out. Yeah, okay, you're right. That's one aspect of... Uh, making this rogue wonderful mm -hmm. is that the rogue thinks it through more than you have and brings a safe to yes. the river. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I know who I'm calling for weasel disposal yeah, purposes in the future. Yeah, these guys are, yeah. No, let's, yeah. But, but it, it's the same thing that you see in, in fairy tales that, that a lot of the times these are cautionary tales. They're, they're a way to experiment with what would happen if I did this. And the thing that is appealing about the transgressive characters, like a rogue, a, a charming, lovable rogue, is that they actually get to act out things and get away with it. Like, you would love to be able to tell your boss off. Mm -hmm. You know, th there are times when you, you see something and you're like, boy, it would just be so easy to do that, but I'm not going to because... Sometimes your answer is because I'm a good person, and sometimes it's just because I would get caught. Well, and I would also say that sometimes um, it is you don't have the right words in the moment, yeah. right? We are not, this is superhuman capability, to in that moment just come up with the perfect thing that is the utter burn that is brilliant on three levels, and we just can't do that, a lot of us. Um, and if we do, it's only occasional. And so there's this like wish fulfillment, it's all that time where you're, you're like, oh, if I would have said this, if I would have said that, it would have been genius. Typically, and, six months after. Yeah, the fact. six months out. Yeah, you've been thinking about it for. Oh, six I was months. on that podcast with Brandon <laughs> Sanderson, that rabid weasel drowner, and if only I had said this. <laughs> <laughs> 
So at I, least I remembered the word sanctimonious. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's do our book of the week, which is this, <laughs> is this by this unknown author named Scott Lynch. Uh, the book of the week requires much sympathy because it is an unheralded unknown. Wait, what am I saying? It's, it's a brilliant work of uh, staggering genius that will leave you sobbing um, for many of the right reasons and a few of the <laughs> The, the wrong reasons. Uh, you can find it on audible.com. It's The Lies of Locke Lamora, my debut novel from 2006, as relevant today as it was when it was written. Um, <laughs> it is narrated by the brilliant Michael Page, who really does a voice for nearly every character in the book, and this is how I discovered just how many damn secondary characters I had put into the thing. <laughs> it was a shock to me. Um, the only person on earth who does not like Michael Page's narration is my grandmother, my Grandma Georgine. Hi, Grandma George. Bless her heart, Grandma George wants to hear the voices in her own head and doesn't want to hear Michael Page doing them for her. But if you are not my grandmother, Georgine, you will love Michael Page. He gets a lot of fan mail. He gets more fan mail than I do. Send me fan mail. Buy the book at audible.com. The Lies of Locke Lamora. Wow. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse so oh. that writing excuses gets their cut. Howard shows me up while I'm no, taking no. a breath. I, I think Howard's fired. That was a yeah. wonderful promo. That was a better... <laughs> We're going to... I'm like, I've already read the book, but I'm just totally going to get the audio the, one now. You, pod, podcast listeners, you'd be so much less impressed if you could see me like nodding and gesturing and speaking to the physical microphone, like doing all of this totally irrelevant meat space stuff for the podcast. All That's right. because we have I'm, a live I'm, audience. Live audience again, I'm nodding so loudly. <laughs> all right. So often the second half of the podcast is the part where I ask how. How do, we make, how do we do this? How do the writers who are listening are like, that sounds awesome. I want to write the most brilliant, clever rogue story ever, but I'm not clever enough. How can, how can they do this? Like, no, I, I've run into this. Like, the, my characters are far more clever than I am. Far more. Um, how do we do this? How, do we, how can we teach, uh, tell our listeners to imitate this? Well, you have a crazy outlining Graph I, I, I do. Well, there, there's a couple answers. The first is you can't go home. Um, but but <laughs> that's, that's a big lie because I am not the super clever rogue genius who, who runs around always having the you know the exact right thing to say popping out of his head. I am the guy who can't find his socks six days out of seven. Um, you know who who would misplace his spine if it was not somehow attached to my back. I don't know how, but it's always there when I need it. Um, Except this morning. It, the, the advantage that we have is, is that our characters um, benefit from the time compression. You know, it, what happens for them on the page it may take a minute or a second. Uh, we have six months to think about it. Right. We, we have, you know, we get to plot and plan in detail, and they pretend to be as, as charming and, and as witty and as sharp as months of trial and preparation can make them look. 
Um, and I mean, that's the big secret. The big secret is um, is we do all the work, they get all the credit, the little bastards. Um, <laughs> I, I've found that uh, uh, writing the situation and knowing that the dialogue is going to need to be punched up. Something clever goes here. Very, very often I will write a script, uh, you know, schlock mercenary script, and I know that witty repartee is the punchline here, but I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't feel witty yet. And so what goes in the dialogue bubble is, think of a better punchline than this. <laughs> and then I keep writing, and then I keep writing, and then I go do other things, and eventually it, it comes to me, or I work on it, or... I don't say something in the grocery store that I maybe wanted to say, and I remember something clever at home, and whatever your percolation process yeah. is, it's just very true and very good. Is, is you know remember that it you know you do not have to do this all in one afternoon, and that you can wait for inspiration to strike. Um, reread your dialogue, reread your scenes, and ask yourself. Has this ever been asked in this fashion before? Have I read this dialogue before? Is this cliched? Um, you know, is is this uh, mm. you know chock full of, of similes that are right out of third grade? Um, you know, essentially look at it with, with always with an eye toward doing better and making it um, more unique yeah. whenever you can. There's something in um, in, in comedy writing called a, a joke area, which actually works really well with with regular dialogue too. Which is that you think about what the purpose of that line is. Not just why the character is saying it, but what, it's, what function it serves in the story. And then you look at other ways to say it. So, you know, an example, and, and try to make it more and more specific to the character. So, like, if your character can't hear something, and they say, what did you say? You're like, okay, well, I, that's, that's one very straightforward way to say that. But there's also, eh, couldn't quite hear that. Or, come again? You know, you can look at all of the different ways until you find something that is specific to the character and moves the plot forward as well. Yeah, um, uh, I really like what has been said here also, the whole you can, you can witty punchline here. Um, and I actually, something I found myself doing lately is, you know, you, get, you have your little writing book we've talked about, so minus my phone, but, you know, where you jot down ideas. I've actually been reversing that where I write down the line that came before and what I need the, you know, the witty punchline here, what's going to be in there. And I carry that around with me because there'll be time when I've got 15 minutes just sitting. And sometimes the cleverest things happen when you're not working on a book, when you're not sitting there and putting all the plot and characterization together. And when you just look at this and say, okay, um, you know, wife is running in to grab something from the store. I've got 15 minutes. How can I make a clever line here? This line needs to be clever. With, uh, with, I'm working on the sequel to Steelheart right now, and there's a character. His thing is, he's really bad at metaphors. Coming up with a bad metaphor is so much harder than coming up with a good one, because it has to be a bad one that makes you snicker when he says it, because you know, it can't be a complete non sequitur. And so these things have been so tough to come up with the right ones, and I just have a list. I need a metaphor here that means this. Um, and I need a metaphor here that means this. And uh, I've been working and trying to check them off one at a time. So I want to ask another question of the group now that we've dealt with dialogue, which it goes back to something we were talking earlier about transgressive mm -hmm. and the puppy and all of that. How do we keep a character from, you know, we, we want someone who's transgressive and charming. How do we keep them from being awful? Because there is... A lot of times, you know, we are dealing with characters who are killing and stealing and pillaging. That, that, that is an, an interesting question. Um, uh, oftentimes more of interest to the authors than some of the readers. I have to say mm. that it has, um, it has alarmed me at times um, that the, the degree to which some readers 
will accept um, the propriety of what is being done by a character in a book simply because they are the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, people who would, who would never think like that in real life will simply accept um, some, some fairly heinous things because there's, there's the implication that the character is, is right. Um, right. It's okay this, if this Jack weird... Bauer tortures everybody yeah. and breaks every law because it's I, okay. I, speaking yeah. of, of you know of my first novel, um, I uh, there, there's a scene at the towards the end where where the two protagonists do something that I consider to be reprehensible, and I, I put this in there um, specifically to show where they came from, what sort of people they really were. I mean, they're 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 essentially fan fantasy mafioso. Um, they they have. Um, uh, there are boundaries that, that you know ordinary healthy people would not cross that these guys will. Um, and as, as lovable and roguish and as charming and as wonderful as they really are, and as much as I love the guys, they will do cruel things. They will do awful things by accident and by design. And I, in, in, in the first book, I, I, in, I, I can't go into it all now because the clock is ticking. Oh, um, no, you're fine. Don't, don't, you don't worry about this. Brandon will keep track of the okay, clock. Fantastic. We're good. Talk um, as much as... You want they uh, by, both by accident and design they they ruin a couple people's lives and uh, they they prove themselves to be a, a little bit cruel and vicious. Um, I was hoping that this would create uh, you know sort of a, a, a nuanced appraisal of them in the minds of most readers and it, it did sometimes but it, I was I was startled by the degree to which people simply accepted a Jack Bauer esque scene of torture um, because it's it's not something that I, I you know I personally believe is is appropriate or or, or civilized. Um, but I, 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 at the other hand, I, I was I was not preaching this in any way in the book. You know, there's there's no omniscient voice that comes in and says, "By the way, readers, this is bad." Mm. It, it was it was simply there, and I, I was I was very startled to discover that it did not have the effect that I had intended it to. Um, and I am, of course, the first author on earth who has ever written something that did right. not have the effect he intended it to. I'm that guy. Um, it, 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 so I, I guess that's what I mean when I say it is it is sometimes difficult to make your characters awful enough to have readers, you know, throw the book across the room. Well, you know, one classic way to do this, though, the anti-hero brought up, one of the reasons that anti-heroes tend to work is usually they're going against people who are even worse, mm -hmm. right? Or on yes. an equal level. So you've got all these awful people doing awful things to each other, and then we're kind of morally absolved by reading it. Um, and that's one method yeah. I've noticed is we, we root for the protagonist because of the protagonist, and these people are awful anyway. True. Yeah. It's, it's the Ocean's Eleven. We're robbing a casino. They're all crooks anyway. Yeah. So one of my one of my go-to's uh, for this is the foil who hangs a lantern on the behavior. Mm. Uh, you know, calls out the fact that uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a cast of mercenaries in Schlock Mercenary. They're hurting people and breaking things, and every so often somebody will say, "Wait, should we really be doing this? I really don't think we should be. I'm not in charge here, but I really don't think we should be doing this." I, I think the, um, the the relevant TV tropesism would is is the uh, the topic. What the hell, hero? <laughs> <laughs> if, if if you've got nothing else to do for the next three days, go look at TV tropes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's. We we are out of time. This has been a wonderful podcast. I'm actually I'm very sad we're out of time, but we do need to wrap it up. Um, let's go ahead and do a writing prompt. And I think Scott. Let's 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 be roguish and give I, us a I writing to, prompt. Okay, a writing prompt. Uh, uh -huh. Well, for research purposes, uh, locate your nearest oh my bank. Gosh. And Stop! Stop him! <laughs> we are I not need gonna... some people who are bigger than wait, Scott wait, wait, Lynch. Okay. For, for legal, okay, legal purposes, I can't say that. You know what would be interesting if you went to the closest bank and attempted to withdraw twenty thousand dollars by me? Okay, no, I, I can't do that. Um, I, I will give you one directly relevant from my day. Um, 
Complicate a scene or a story by adding an unexpected injury or illness that completely flips the protagonist perspective on what they're doing. Very nicely done. Mm -hmm. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.